This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Friend, there's no need to assume the worst. As followers of God, you and I have a huge asset. We know that everything is going to turn out all right. Christ hasn't budged from his throne. And Romans 8 and verse 28 has not evaporated from the Bible. I don't know what setback you're facing right now. I don't know what fear is holding you back. I don't know what anxiety is keeping you up or gnawing at your heart. But I do know this, that if you'll take these four simple steps, you will move toward your comeback and you'll move out of your setback and your setback will be the stepping stone to your future. Worry divides the mind. In fact, the the biblical word for worry, merim now, is a compound of two Greek words, meridso, which means to divide, and nous, which means the mind. So part of our mind is on the now and the rest is on the not yet. The result is, well, half-minded living. That's not the only result. From a medical standpoint, worry might not be a disease, but boy, it sure does cause them. High blood pressure, heart trouble, blindness, migraine headaches, thyroid malfunctions, and a host of stomach disorders, and that's just the start. You know, worry has never brightened a day never solved a problem, never cured a disease or put food on the table. Our frets are futile. Jesus himself said, so I tell you, don't worry about the food or drink you need to live or about the clothes you need for your body. Life is more than food. The body is more than clothes. Just look at the birds of the air. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns, but your heavenly father feeds them. And you know that you are worth much more than the birds, you cannot add any time to your life by worrying about it. So how do we deal with worry? Well, in verse 2 of Psalm 23, he leads me beside the still waters, David declares. And in case we miss the point, he repeats the phrase in the next verse. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He leads us. Our good shepherd tells us what we need to know and when we need to know it. The book of Hebrews says, we will find grace to help us when we need it. Listen to a different translation. Let us therefore boldly approach the throne of our gracious God where we may receive mercy and in his grace find timely help. You see, God's help is timely. He helps us in the same way a father gives plane tickets to his family. When I used to travel with my kids, back in the days we carried plane tickets, I carried all our tickets in a satchel. And when the moment came to board the plane, I would stand between the attendant and the child. And as each of my daughters passed, I placed a ticket in her hand. She, in turn, gave the ticket to the attendant. Each one received the ticket in the nick of time. Now consider this, what I did for my daughters, God does for you.
If only we could order life the way we order gourmet coffee. Yes, I'll have a tall, extra hot cup of adventure, cut all the dangers with two shots of good health. Or I'll have a decaf skinny latte with a sprinkle of fertility, go heavy on the agility and cut out all the disability. Or I'll go with a grande happy latte with a dollop of love sprinkled with Caribbean retirement. Mm. But the truth is, life usually hands us a concoction entirely different from the one we requested. Well, life comes caffeinated with surprises. You move down the ladder, out of the house, over for the new guy, up through the system. Some changes welcome, others not. And in those rare occasions when you think the world has settled down, just watch out. On our list of fears, the fear of what's next demands a prominent position. We might request a decaffeinated life, but, but we just don't get it. The heroes in the Bible, they didn't either. But look closer at what God did and does provide. He provides His presence. You see, when God calls us into the deep valley of death, He promises to be with us. Dare we think that He would abandon us in the moment of death? Would a, would a father force his child to swim the deep alone? Would a shepherd require his, his sheep to journey the highlands alone? Uh, of course not. Friend, here's the point. God is with you. God is with you. And what God said to Moses in, in Exodus 33 and verse 14, He says to you, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And what God said to Jacob in, in Genesis 28, 15, He says to you, I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. What God said to Joshua in Joshua 1, 5, He says to you, As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. What God said to the nation of Israel, as recorded in Isaiah 43, 2, He says to you, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. My friend, my friend, the good shepherd is with you. And because he is with you, you can say what David said, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Almost 40 years ago, uh, I, I started Saddleback Church with no money, no members, no building, no support. I'd never been a senior pastor, but I did have confidence in God. And I remember telling it to Kay, and so what do you think? She said, well, I believe in God and I believe in you, so let's go for it. She said, it scares me to death, but I believe in God and I believe in you, so let's go for it. Job 11 verses 13 to 18 says this, surrender. It says, surrender your heart to God, turn to him in prayer and give up your sins. Then you won't be ashamed and you'll be confident and fearless. Here's how you get confidence and fearlessness. Surrender yourself to God and your troubles will go away like water beneath a bridge and your darkest night will be brighter than noon. And then you'll rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of Worry, that sounds pretty good to you. Sounds good to me. Filled with hope and emptied of worry. How do you do that? Starts with surrender. If you're fighting anxiety, you're fighting worry, insecurity, fear because of the setback you've had in your life, before you get up in the morning, you need to say, Father, I surrender this day to you. I surrender my past, my present, and my future. That's the starting point. Second thing you do, to move past your setback, 
listen, is to stop listening to the voices of fear. Sometimes those fearful voices are inside you. Sometimes you need to stop listening to you and you need to replace the fear with faith, as I said earlier. Romans 14, 23 says this, whatsoever is not a faith is sin. You see, fear is the opposite of faith. And anytime you walk in fear, you're not walking in faith. Now, now I don't know if you know this, but fear is a communicable disease. It's highly contagious. If you hang around fearful people, guess what? You're gonna become fearful. So let me give you a couple practical suggestions to lower the fear in your life. Number one, turn off talk radio and negative TV news shows. Studies show that the more you listen to those kind of shows, the more angry and more fearful you become. So just turn it off. You don't need it. Number two, start hanging out with people of faith instead of people of fear instead. It's one of the reasons you need a church family. You need to get in a small group. Now let me give you a third practical antidote to the worry and fears that come with setbacks, okay? This is definitely from, from God. Number three, fill my mind with music that praises God. Did you know the Bible teaches over and over again that praise is the antidote to panic, that worship is the cure for worry? You know, we, we do this in, instinctively. Whenever there's a crisis, like a hurricane, Okay, people instinctively cry out to God. People cry, oh God, why? Because you lose your fear when God is near. You know, I had a neighbor once tell me, he said, you know, Rick, uh, when I was going through the darkest days of fear, I bought a 10 CD set of praise music and I just listened to it over and over and over. He said it gave me both comfort and courage. You know, when Matthew, our youngest son, died a few years ago, uh, Kay and I, we didn't turn on the TV for well over a month. Instead, we filled our home with praise music. Do you know what Mary did when she felt fearful and inadequate? She wrote a song of praise and she sang it. In fact, Mary's song is in Luke chapter one. You might read it, it's verse 46 to 56. It's a long song, but part of it says this. Then Mary sang, with all my heart, I praise the Lord. She's scared to death, but she says, with all my heart, I praise the Lord. I rejoice in God, my savior, for he notices and cares for me. Simple servant girl, he's blessed me. And he's the mighty one who's holy. He's all powerful, he can do anything. He meets all our needs. He keeps all his promises. She's just filling her mind with who God is and what he can do. If you're having a problem with anxiety and fear, you need to fill your life with music. You need to sing the songs at worship, of worship, on the weekends at church. Now let me give you a fourth way to defeat the fears that come with setbacks. Base my hope on the promises of God. In Luke chapter one, verse 45, Mary says to Elizabeth, you're blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Do you believe the Lord will do what he said? In Psalm 56, verse three and four, David says this, you know, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in God. And when I trust in God, I'm not afraid. I praise him for what he's promised. I praise him for what he's promised. There is the fourth antidote to when you're overwhelmed with anxiety, when you're filled with fear, when you are pummeled by panic. Now, friends, 
I don't know what setback you're facing right now. I don't know what fear is holding you back. I don't know what anxiety is keeping you up or gnawing at your heart. But I do know this, that if you'll take these four simple steps, you will move toward your comeback and you'll move out of your setback and your setback will be the stepping stone to your future. Aristotle called death the thing to be feared the most. In his words, it appears to be the end of everything. Sartre asserted that death removes all the meaning of life. Shakespeare gave these gloomy words to Hamlet, the dread of something after death, undiscovered country, from whose boundary no traveler returns. Can you think of a more depressing and fear-filled way to describe the singular event that awaits us all? But what if the philosophers missed it? Suppose death is less a curse and more a passageway, not a, not a crisis to be feared, but just a corner to be turned. And what if the cemetery is not the domain of the grim reaper, but rather the sole keeper who declares, O oh, dwellers in the dust, awake and sing for joy. This is the promise of Jesus Christ. He said, don't be troubled. You trust God, now trust in me. There are many rooms in my father's home. I'm going to prepare a place for you. If this were not so, I, I would tell you plainly, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, Jesus experienced a physical and factual resurrection. And because he did, we will too. The scripture says Christ was raised first. And when Christ comes back, all his people will be raised. Aristotle was wrong. Death is not to be feared. Sartre was mistaken. Your last moment is not your worst. Jesus' testimony still resounds. It's safe to die. It's safe to die. So let's let his resurrection sink into the fibers of our hearts and define the way we see the grave. Let it free those who were like slaves all their lives because of their fear of death. Jesus grants us courage for the final passage. He did so for Charles Lindbergh. You know, Lindbergh was the first person to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. In his later years, when the pilot discovered he had terminal cancer, he and his wife spent their final days at his Hawaiian home. He wrote these words to be read at his burial service. We commit the body of Charles A. Lindbergh to its final resting place, but his spirit we commit to the Almighty God, knowing that death is, is but a new adventure in existence. And we remember how Jesus upon the cross said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. Death, a new adventure in existence. No need to dread it. No need to ignore it. Because of Jesus Christ, you can face it. You can face death itself and do so without fear. What's your worst fear? A fear of public failure, unemployment, fear of heights, the fear that you'll never find the right spouse or enjoy good health, the fear of being trapped or abandoned or forgotten. These are real fears. 
and they're born out of legitimate concerns. But any fear left unchecked can metastasize into obsessions. You know, the step between prudence and paranoia is short and steep. Prudence wears a seatbelt. Paranoia avoids cars. Prudence washes with soap. Paranoia avoids all human contact. A prudent saves for old age. Paranoia hoards even trash. Prudence prepares and plans. Paranoia panics. A prudence calculates the risk and takes the plunge. Paranoia never enters the water. The decisive acts of the gospel drama are played out on two stages, Gethsemane's Garden and Golgotha's Cross. Friday's cross witnessed the severest suffering, but Thursday's garden staged the profoundest fear. It was here amidst the olive trees that Jesus bowed with his face to the ground, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Now why? Why was Jesus afraid? Of what was Jesus afraid? Well, it had something to do with a cup. Jesus said, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away. Now, cup in biblical terminology was more than a drinking utensil. Cup equaled God's anger, his judgment, his punishment. The cup equaled Jesus's worst case scenario to be the recipient of God's wrath. He had never felt God's fury didn't deserve to. He'd never experienced isolation from his father. The two had been one for eternity. He'd never known physical death. He was an immortal being, yet within a few short hours, Jesus would face them all. God would unleash his sin-hating wrath on his sin-covered son. And what was Jesus's response? Well, he was afraid. He was deathly afraid. But what he did with his fears shows us what to do with ours. He prayed and he begged his followers to do the same. You see, Jesus faced his ultimate fear with honest prayer. I think sometimes we overcomplicate this topic. We prescribe words for prayer, places for prayer, clothing for prayer, postures for prayer, durations, intonations, and incantations. Yet Jesus' garden appeal had none of these. It was really brief, just 22 English words. It was straightforward, let this cup of suffering be taken away, and it was trusting. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. It was low on slick, it was high on authentic, less a silver-tongued saint in the sanctuary, and more a, a frightened child in a father's lap. That's it, that's it. Jesus' garden prayer is a child's prayer. Abba, he prayed, using that homespun word a child would use while scampering up on the lap of Papa. And when we offer our requests, we ask God to take this cup away, this cup of disease or betrayal or financial collapse or, or joblessness or conflict or senility. We ask him for help. Yeah, prayer is that simple. And such simple prayer equipped Christ to stare down his deepest fear. Can I encourage you to do likewise? Just fight your dragons in Gethsemane's garden, those persistent, ugly villains of the heart. Talk to God about them. Talk to God about them. And be specific. 
I don't want to lose my spouse, Lord. Help me to fear less and trust you more. Or I have to fly tomorrow, Lord, and I can't sleep for fear that some terrorist is going to get on board and take down the plane. Won't you remove this fear? Or the bank just called. It's about to foreclose on our home. What's going to happen to my family? Can you teach me to trust? Or I don't want my kids to be sick, Lord. Please protect them and help me to raise them well. Be specific in your prayers. You see, Satan loves to leave us in this ill-defined fog of unrest. Our response to this cloud is simply details, please. We identify what this cup is, and we talk to God about it. Putting worries to words disrobes them. They look silly standing there naked. Jesus made his fears public. Did you know that the book of Hebrews says that Jesus offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death? He prayed loudly enough to be heard and recorded and begged his community of friends to pray with him. You see, his prayer in the garden for Christians, well, it becomes a picture of the church, a church, a a place where fears can be verbalized and pronounced and stripped down and denounced, an escape from the wordless doctrine of suppressed frights. A healthy church is really a place where our fears go to die. We pierce them through with scripture and psalms of celebration and lament, and we melt them in the sunlight of confession. We extinguish them in the waterfall of worship, choosing to gaze at God, not at our dreads. So my friend, The next time you find yourself facing a a worst case moment, just do this. Verbalize your angst to a circle of of God seekers. This is an essential step. Find your version of Peter, James, and John. The big deal and good news is this. You don't need to live alone with your fear. Besides, what if your fears are nothing more than the devil's hoax? A a hell-hatched, joy-stealing prank. I have a friend who was dreading a letter from the IRS. According to their early calculation, he owed them money, money he did not have. Well, he was told to expect a letter detailing the amount. When the letter finally arrived, his courage failed him. He couldn't bear to open it. (laughs) So the envelope sat on his desk for five days while he writhed in dread. How much would it be? Where would he get the money? For how long would he be sent to prison? Finally, he summoned up the courage and the gumption to open the envelope. He found not a bill to be paid, but a check to be cashed. The IRS, as it turned out, owed him money. He he wasted five days on needless fear. Friend, there's no need to assume the worst. As followers of God, you and I have a huge asset. We know that everything is going to turn out all right. Christ hasn't budged from his throne. And Romans 8 and verse 28 has not evaporated from the Bible. Our problems have always been his possibilities. The kidnapping of Joseph resulted in the preservation of his family. The persecution of Daniel led to a cabinet position. Christ entered the world by a surprise pregnancy and redeemed it through an unjust murder. Dare we believe what the Bible teaches, that no disaster is ultimately fatal? Chrysostom was the archbishop of Constantinople from 389 to 404 AD, and he gained a a following by his eloquent criticisms of the wealthy and the powerful. He was twice banished by authorities. And he once asked, what can I fear? Will it be death? 
But you know that Christ is my life and I shall gain by death. Will it be exile? But the earth in all its fullness is the Lord's. Will it be the loss of wealth? But we brought nothing into the world and we carry nothing out. Thus, all the terrors of the world are contemptible in my eyes and I smile at all its good things. Poverty I do not fear, riches I do not sigh for, and death I do not shrink from. The Apostle Paul would have applauded that paragraph. He penned his final words in the bowels of a Roman prison, chained to a guard within earshot of his executioner's footsteps. Worst case scenario? Well, not from Paul's perspective. In his words, God's looking after me, keeping me safe in the kingdom of heaven. All praise to him. Praise forever. Paul chose to trust his father. Another fear fell victim to trust. Fear will always knock on your door. Just don't invite it in for dinner. And for heaven's sake, don't offer it a bed for the night. Fear may fill your world, but it doesn't have to fill your heart. God doesn't give us a telescope into tomorrow, so, so why bother looking? He promises a lamp into our feet, not a crystal ball into the future. What worries are weighing you down right now? Carrying such a heavy load is, is no way to live, but boy, it's a good way to die. So when fear comes knocking at your door, I encourage you, just send it packing. Call on the Good Shepherd. He invites you, even now, right now, to lay down your fears, your, your sleepless nights, your panic-induced headaches, your anxiety, your worry, and all that comes with it. You can fear less tomorrow than you do today. Yes, you, you, you can live a fearless life. <music>